Welcome back everybody to The Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful. On this Friday, we have made it through another week of American politics. Let's dive in. We start off today with a little bit about Joe Biden's trade policy. Specifically, this actually been tougher, especially on China, than I think a lot of people were expecting or are aware of. And so we're gonna look at a few different elements of this that I find, I find really interesting through the lens of a Seattle Times op-ed by Paul Kruger that was titled Biden Gets Tough on Trade that I found particularly interesting. And we'll just read a couple parts of this and discuss, but all of it's fascinating, especially given the context that conservatives have run with the narrative for a while that Biden's all weak, he's a globalist, he's trying to help China. It just doesn't seem to be the case, right? So again, Biden Gets Tough on Trade is the title. And Krugman writes, remember when former President Donald Trump's trade wars were front page news? At this point, concerns over Trump's tariff policy seem almost quaint. Who cares if an insurrectionist is also a protectionist? But some of the tariffs Trump imposed are still in place. And on Friday, the World Trade Organization, which is supposed to enforce rules for global commerce, declared that the official rationale for these tariffs, that they were needed to protect U.S. national security, was illegitimate. And the Biden administration, in turn, told the WTO in startlingly blunt language to take a hike. So the WTO came to the Biden administration and said, these tariffs you've left imposed, they're not justified, take them away. And the Biden administration is saying, heck no, we don't care, we're leaving them. Um, then it continues, this is a very big deal, much bigger than Trump's tariff tantrums. The Biden administration has turned remarkably tough on trade in ways that make sense given the state of the world, but also make me very nervous. Trump may have huffed and puffed, but Biden is quietly shifting the basic foundations of the world economic order. And then the final little element we'll look at uh, together and then we'll talk about it is from the tariffs that were imposed by Trump. Here's which ones Biden left and took away. As it happens, the tariffs on Canadian metals are gone, as are most of the similar tariffs on Europe, although the agreement there stopped short of full free trade. But the tariffs on China are still in place. More important, the Biden administration has declared that the WTO has no jurisdiction in the matter. It's up to America to determine whether its trade actions are necessary for national security, and an international organization has no right to second guess that judgment. And the last part that I'll read, wait, what? According to the right, Biden and company are globalists, soft on China and unwilling to stand up for America. Why have they gotten so tough? And I love the last part I just read you that Krugman notes that, that conservatives have been screaming that Biden's so weak and he loves China and he wants to make them stronger than the United States or whatever the talking point was. And that just flies in the face of the recent events we're seeing where the Biden administration is beefing is having you know, a conflict with the WTO over that very issue because he's taking a more tough and aggressive stance. And so then the article goes on to speculate about why this is the stance that Biden's taking. And I think, interestingly, there is an awareness among, kind of in a bipartisan way, people in Washington and just kind of Americans as a whole increasingly that while a lot of the conservative fear-mongering is just off with China and other countries, so often it's just off, the more general vibe and um, feeling that we need to stay competitive and maybe be a little bit more aggressive and make sure that China's influence doesn't necessarily become so much more significant because of the negative ramifications that could have. And the other country this notes is Russia. These autocratic nations, we don't necessarily want them to become so powerful that they now can influence the world in all these ways that won't be as democratic, that won't be as within the sets of values 
that we care about. And so that including, or additionally, you have just the purely economic uh, possible downsides of that that are very frightening if they were to be able to become way economically dominant compared to the United States. And so if we really do feel that in a bipartisan way, which it seems based on recent actions in Washington that is the case, then now is a good time to act on it. Biden seems to be heading up the charge on that. And so you have with his trade policy that being reflected that we're going to be a little bit tougher towards China than previously and previously expected. And also domestically with um, the legislation that he's passing and pushing for the CHIPS Act, invest in semiconductor manufacturing and trying to make sure that we don't become beholden to countries like China because of the relevance and necessity of semiconductors. And then beyond that, in the Inflation Reduction Act, it has benefits for electric vehicles, but those are limited to, um, to companies that are producing the electric vehicles that are American companies, right? And so that is pushing in that direction of prioritizing the interests of American industry over other um, industry. And so very interesting. Again, let me know what you think in the comments, because I know people have different stances on a very complex conversation of trade. But generally, it's fascinating to see that Biden's definitely not the caricature of a weak liberal that the conservatives have put out there. And this is a little bit different than I think you would have expected going into his presidency, but definitely is at least motivated by what I see as justified, um, a justified motivation to stay very competitive while also still pursuing mutually beneficial situations with China. Being competitive with them is important. The House of Representatives has passed a piece of legislation that would allow Puerto Rico to vote on whether they want to be a state or two other options that we'll read about <clears throat> in a second here from Yahoo News. The House passed legislation on Thursday that would give Puerto Rico the opportunity to redefine its status as a U.S. territory. I must note up front, this is likely not going to actually happen because the Senate will have to pass it and I can't imagine 10 Republicans would get on board, but we'll see. So this is just an interesting move almost for the optical reason and public pressure reason, but not because it'll actually necessarily happen. The legislation which secured bipartisan support would allow Puerto Ricans to vote for one of three avenues. And these are the three things that would be voting on independence, statehood, or sovereignty in free association with the U.S. Uh, with the U.S. Countries like Micronesia fall into the third category, making them independent, but bound to certain diplomatic and defense agreements with the United States. So they can be independent. They can be a state of the United States if this were to become law. And the third option would be sovereign, but in free association with the United States. Interesting, interesting, interesting. And I think this is a great move. I think this is act, uh, actually what should have been done a long time ago. Um, and for sure, something that is correct. Unfortunately, again, I don't think it'll be passed in the Senate. But take a look at Democratic Representative Richie Torres speaking to this. The Puerto Rican, I'm proud to vote to have voted for the Puerto Rico Status Act which if enacted would begin to break the cycle of colonialism that for more than a century has relegated Puerto Rico to second-class status. The landmark legislation would empower Puerto Rico to be in command of its own political destiny. What matters above all is not the particular status that the people will ultimately choose. What matters is the right of the people to choose the status that best expresses their will 
and the right of the people to have their will given the binding power it has long deserved. If enacted, the Puerto Rico Status Act would not only restore democracy on the island, it would also reinforce democracy here in the mainland United States because it would mean no longer depriving three million of our fellow citizens of their fundamental right to self-determination. I call on the Senate to join the People's House in decolonizing the people of Puerto Rico. Really great. And then I'll show you uh, here, AOC was actually presiding over the House when this got passed. Take a look. 133, the nays are 191. The bill is passed. There we go. So, I mean, for too long, these issues, and there's more than just Puerto Rico that should be addressed, but Puerto Rico being one of them, where we really are not giving the proper representation and self-determination to these um, territories. And so I love this move, and I think it's absolutely correct. Ron DeSantis is a hypocrite. Can you imagine? Interesting clips are being circulated of him earlier in the pandemic pushing and advertising the vaccine, which was good at the time, and now making it his brand to be anti-vax. And it just shows you the reason why he's anti-vax now is not because he's actually concerned with any information that he feels like he has, it's because he knows this helps him among the base and specifically helps him set himself apart from Trump because Trump is more pro-vax than Ron DeSantis is. So take a look at these two clips I'll show you of earlier in the pandemic and then we'll dive into the hypocrisy being uh, exposed. So my message is the vaccines protect you, get vaccinated and then live your life as if you're protected. Okay. That's the first one. Get the vaccine, it protects you. And then another moment here. So here's, I think, the, the most important thing with the data. If you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, the chance of you getting seriously ill or dying from COVID is effectively zero. If you look at the people that are being admitted to hospitals, uh, over 95% of them are either not fully vaccinated or not vaccinated at all. So back then he was completely and totally correct about that. But he's changed his tune as uh, Newsweek is reporting on videos showing Florida Ronda, uh, Florida Ronda Sanders promoting COVID vaccines last year are recirculating amid his request for a state investigation into any wrongdoing linked to the mRNA shots. This week, DeSantis launched an attack on the Centers for Disease Control and Prevent, uh, Prevention after he asked the Florida Supreme Court to impanel a grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to the COVID-19 vaccines, including the pharmaceutical manufacturers and medical associations. Our CDC at this point, he says, anything they put out, you just assume at this point that it's not worth the paper that is printed on, the governor said during a roundtable discussion on Thursday. Completely 180, right? And this video put out let's see here very much highlights that i'm announcing and um for our podcast listeners it starts december 13 2022 what he's saying and then cuts back to the clip i just showed you in 2021 today i'm announcing a petition with the supreme court of florida 
to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to COVID-19 vaccines. And that will come with legal processes that will be able uh, to get more information and to bring legal accountability for those who committed misconduct. If you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, the chance of you getting seriously ill or dying from COVID is effectively zero. Right. So just a complete different message, not because he was given new information, because we understand that he's very dishonest with the information he presents, but instead because it became politically beneficial to him to be the anti-vax guy. He knows there's a big part of the Republican base now that loves hearing that type of message. And it's unfortunate because it does get people hurt. It is incorrect. And as we looked at previously, when you look at when the vaccine came out, the huge difference that became so present among Republicans and Democrats with their death rate and how Democrats were dying at such lower rates after the vaccine came out because they were the ones who disproportionately were going and getting vaccinated, whereas Republicans were listening to the dishonest talking points and not getting vaccinated and dying at higher rates because of it. And so that is, luckily, COVID is less damaging now, but he is uh, manipulating them into believing more and more that the science, the medical community can't be trusted. And instead, whatever right-wing source they have is great. And whether that's now or sometime in the future, it's going to get people hurt. If you have any particular thoughts on this, let me know on Twitter at Luke P. Beasley. Former Trump lawyer Jenna Ellis had such a bad take on the Respect for Marriage Act, which of course got signed into law by President Joe Biden. And she, number one, hates the idea that interracial marriage and same-sex marriage will be protected in tandem and thinks that that's a horrible act by the Democrats to try to link the two things and that they're nothing alike and all this so that you'll hear her say that. But then also at the end, she says that essentially if we go on and let same sex couples get married, next thing you know, they're going to be pushing for minors to be able to get married to adults. <sighs> Take a look at this. Of course he did. And even the Respect for Marriage Act itself, which I call the Disrespect for Marriage Act, actually uh, talks about both same-sex marriage and protecting interracial marriage. It's purposefully done by the Democratic-led Congress to try to equate the two. Traditional marriage is only about the difference between genders. We are one race, the human race. There has never been under a traditional marriage construct the idea that race or skin color matters. It is all about a man... That is so incorrect. Under traditional marriage advocacy, there absolutely has been people who believe and the common accepted belief for a long time being that people of two different races could not get married. So it's deeply incorrect, but okay. And a woman biologically. And so to equate- It never should have been that, but that's what it was under, again, traditional marriage advocacy. The two is purposefully saying that you are a bigot 
and you are a racist if wow. you in any way object to redefining marriage. This is all about advancing the LGBT agenda to say that we can redefine gender however we want, we can redefine human sexuality however we want, right. and I bet you further down the road, Justice Kagan is going to ask an advocate one day, what's the problem between a an adult and a minor wanting to get married? Oh, That's where we're headed as this country. Of course, he so, of course, she has to connect it back to they're coming after your kids again, because that's always now the way that the LGBTQ community is attacked. But think about this. You know what? Let's just set aside completely for the sake of this argument, the fact that it's the conservative movement. It's been Republican states trying to hold on to the idea. I know not anymore, hopefully commonly accepted among the Republican population, but for the longest time and much longer than Democrats, it was Republicans pushing for minors to be able to get married to adults. We know that, right? Yes, it was. As long as the you know, parent signs off, then they can get married really, really young. <laughs> it was liberals who strayed away from that much earlier. Okay, setting that aside, the idea that a movement, the progressive movement, that centers so much of their advocacy and goals around the idea that consent matters deeply. We even get made fun of from Republicans a lot of times and conservatives like, oh, you obsess consent, 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 like it's all that matters in a way to say that even if people get consent, there's all these bad ways to have sex and stuff. Matt Walsh was saying they pretend like consent's the only thing that matters and there's other things that make sex more than just unconditional sex was his argument. And so we almost get made fun of for how much we focus on the idea of consent. And so if you accept that that's a key part of our belief system, then why we would ever push for a situation where a child is in a marriage when a child can't give informed consent to do so is wild and it's dishonest. Not to mention, it's just the slipperiest slope argument I've ever heard in my life. And again, it's attempting to further frame the LGBTQ community as a community and the liberal backing behind that community as one that is coming for your kids that next thing you know is going to be trying to marry your underage child. It's horrible. It's not accurate. And it actually doesn't provide any substantive argument for why it's damaging, why it's bad to allow people who love each other, even if they're of the same sex, to get married and express that love through the legal commitment that is marriage. Speaking of Jenna Ellis, former Trump lawyer, she brought Marjorie Taylor Greene onto the Jenna Ellis show. And um, I have a few clips from that. Again, before we watch the first one of Marjorie Greene, I just want to remind you that based on recent analysis that I came across that was really fascinating, it seems to be the clip case that Marjorie Greene is going to be so powerful in this next Congress because she represents the more radical part of the Republican Party. She has the loudest megaphone within that group. And so Kevin McCarthy is going to have to come to her over and over and over to get approval to get that batch of votes because of how thin the margin is for Republicans in the House. So here's her saying that the reason why she's supporting Kevin McCarthy, a lot of people have speculated is because she got some sort of deal from him and she's saying, no, I haven't got any deal from Kevin McCarthy. Sure, I understand. Well, first of all, let me say I, I haven't compromised anything. Nothing has changed about me and I had no deals I had to make to support Kevin McCarthy I'm a realist, and so I make my decision based on what's actually realistic, not what we wish or fantasize can happen in Congress. Um, and unfortunately, that's being sold to a lot of people, and I think that's wrong. So um, 
I will tell you the truth every single time, whether people like to hear it or not. It's just the factual truth. Sure, I understand. Well, first. So there's a big debate going on, and she's one of the rare, super radical congresswomen or congresspeople who's standing behind Kevin McCarthy because of a lot of the other House Freedom Caucus, super MAGA people are standing against Kevin McCarthy to become speaker within the Republican caucus. And she there is explaining why that she feels like that's the only reasonable decision. And I keep rooting for the continued battle to be going on within the Republican party among this more radical and then I guess you call more moderate-ish part because it does benefit the Democrats, I think, um, for sure. Next, she does this thing that is so odd among conservatives or I guess among pro-life people, which is it's dis they try to make the Democrats out to be dishonest for calling out the threat to abortion rights that exists. And the way that they do it is saying, come on, if you want to get an abortion, you can get one. But if you think abortion is bad, why are you? What? It doesn't make sense to me. Take a look. And the Democrats want to peel off as many voters as they can. And that's what this is really about. It's nothing but a trick. And Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are really good at it because they did the same thing to us. And they, that's what they did with Roe versus Wade. The Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, and they launched a major campaign uh, saying that the Republicans are ending abortion in America. Well, yes, we're pro-life and we believe in motherhood and we believe in protecting um, the sanctity of life and protecting the lives of the unborn. But they used it in campaign ads as, as fear mongering to women um, who are who are pro-abortion and er, and got them to turn out and vote. It actually hurt us in the 2022 midterm elections. But that's what these bills and these votes are really about. Wait, and one of the things Marjorie Green has said before is if you want to get abortion, get abortion. That's where that phrase comes from. But there she's saying it's dishonest for the Democrats to have advertised that Republicans are against abortion rights. Is that the claim being made? Isn't it perfectly fair for us to say, hey, this is what they believe. You don't support that. Vote for the Democratic Party. It doesn't make sense to me. If you're pro-choice, if you're for abortion rights, why wouldn't you tell people the reality of what the other side stands for? That doesn't make any sense to me. And then another example where she's saying, come on, they're pretending that we're coming after gay marriage and we're not really. I think we need to recognize it, what it really is, is it's another Democrat trick to use in campaign ads. That's all this is because they know for a fact that gay marriage is not anywhere under attack in this country and no one's trying to take it away from them. The whole purpose of that bill is an attack on Christians and it's an attack on religious freedom. That's exactly what that bill is about. It, and it So we've talked about how the religious interests actually had more gotten to, into the bill, I would say, than most people expected. So there's tons of uh, consideration of religious interests, again, in this bill. It's a strange thing to frame it as an attack on Christians. That's not at all what it was. It's, and it will be used against Republicans in campaign ads of, oh, they voted against gay marriage. And, you know, it's it's a fear thing. So they're, they're going to try to use the gay community to turn them against uh, the Republican Party. Because guess what? A lot of the LGBT, um, and well, I'll go with the LGB. I don't know about the T's and the Q's, but most of them, many of them, vote Republican. 
And the Democrats want to peel off as many voters as they can. And that's what this is really about. It's nothing but a trick. I think we need to recognize. Well, that's just so gaslighty to look at someone and say, we're not going after gay marriage. Why are you concerned about gay marriage? Saying that we are coming after that is so dishonest. When number one, Clarence Thomas did say we need to take a look at Obergefell and maybe do a similar thing that we did with Roe v. Wade. But also, right now in the United States, if Obergefell were to be overturned, which it could happen, like what happened with Roe v. Wade, as Clarence Thomas indicated, then states have same-sex marriage illegal right now. So then instantly you would see a situation where those rights were taken away. Look at this. The following 13 states have not legalized same-sex marriage. Arkansas, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Ohio, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Texas. And uh, this little thing notes that, of course, thanks to Obergefell versus Hodges, these laws are null and void. But if Obergefell was overturned, they would become relevant again and implemented already because they're there. They exist right now. And so it's very justified to be concerned that if the same thing happened to Obergefell that happened to um, Roe v. Wade, then people's rights would pretty instantly be taken away and we should fight to prevent that and protect people from that. And so the most aggravating thing that you can have told to you is the problem that you're caring about doesn't actually exist when it very much exists and it's very dishonest for her to say otherwise follow me on twitter luke p beasley elon musk took over twitter as you guys know and said i am the free speech king i'm gonna let people speak their mind say their truth all that stuff conservatives are gonna stop being censored and all of this right well, he started banning journalists, which is not very pro-free speech in my mind. Let me know if you disagree, and you'll see this being discussed on CNN. Pretty wild. The background is that there's an account that uses publicly available data to keep track or post where his private plane is at any given point in time. And that, of course, was banned, even though Elon Musk said he wasn't going to ban that account, and then he did. But the part that's wild is just journalists reporting on that story that Elon Musk had done that also were getting banned, which is wild. Step of suspending journalists from a major social media platform and drawing criticism from world leaders as a result. The German foreign minister chiming in this morning saying press freedom cannot be switched on and off on a whim. One of those journalists who was banned last night is CNN's Donio Sullivan. He joins us now. There are a lot of things to clear up here. Mm. I think the most important is an accusation that he made. Elon Musk said, quote, they posted my exact real-time location. Did you do that? No, that's just entirely false. And from what we can see, the other journalists who have been suspended as well also did not post his precise live location. What did you do? This all, <laughs> this all goes back. I poked the billionaire. Um, this all goes back to a few days ago when there's this account that tracks the location using publicly available you know, information plane. of his plane. Uh, and he kicked that off Twitter. He changed the rules to make it against Twitter's rules. Um, and we were reporting on that. We were reporting on, on the shutdown yesterday. Um, and late last night, uh, last night around 7, 8 p.m., um, colleague Oliver Darcy uh, texted me to say, you've been suspended from Twitter. Yeah. So you really, I, I, I wasn't 
joking or serious. What did you do? You just simply reported on yeah, Twitter we, and we, Elon Musk. We did reporting. And look, I mean... Right. So, why am I covering this? Um, I think we know this as people who have been keeping up with this ongoing story with Elon Musk. But it's all not true when it comes to this idea that it's the conservatives that Elon Musk now associates with who care about free speech. And that's what they're fighting for and liberals are trying to take it away. And there's two reasons why we know that. When conservatives have their own platform, so True Social is an example of this or all of the countless ones that have been started and now Twitter, they don't actually do the thing, creating the utopia that they pretend could exist because they realize in the cases of some of these other conservative platforms, oh, we can't just have a complete open free-for-all, otherwise it gets crazy and nobody wants to be on this platform. Or in the case of Elon Musk and some of other platforms as well, it's too tempting to ban people they don't like or ban opinions they don't like. And so the platforms actually become worse, more against free speech, as they say, than even they were previously. But the other big component is it bothers me when people pretend like this is a matter of freedom of speech in the sense of the First Amendment. Because the First Amendment, of course, that gives us the right of free speech applies to the government. So Twitter, as a private company, just like how when you walk into a small business, they can tell you, you don't have shoes on, get out of my store. Twitter, as a private company, can say, you don't get to be on this platform if X, Y, and Z. And so I've always said that they can really do whatever they want. It's not a matter of the First Amendment. And then we can have preferences. And it's the conservatives talk so much about love in the free market. So if there really was so many people in the country who hated the way Twitter was running Twitter, then another company should pop up under their idea of how the free market works, right? So I think it's perfectly fair to criticize terms of service of platforms. Sometimes they take people off too easily. Sometimes they wait too long to take people off. And we can criticize all those decisions and put on pressure, consumer pressure on them and push for different policies, of course. And I think that can be enraging, but it doesn't fall within the First Amendment at all. Completely separate conversation. And then again, now we're seeing a great example of the hypocrisy that Elon Musk says it's the worst violation of freedom of speech ever, that before he got there, the Biden campaign, before he was even president, reached out to Twitter and said, hey, there's a photo of my son being circulated on your platform, Hunter Biden, that's nude. This is not consensually released of him. That's against your term of service. Can you take it down? And Twitter went, no, you're right. This is against our term of service. We're going to take it down. That was the biggest violation of freedom of speech uh, change the results of the election. That's what we heard from conservatives after the twi Twitter files dropped. But then this happens. Elon Musk is quite literally banning the people who are most responsible for getting information out to people, journalists. And that's not a huge violation of freedom of speech. If people were to believe that Twitter was something that had to have freedom of speech, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it just shows you sometimes whenever a principle is laid out to you by someone who is shown time and time again they don't stick to their principles you don't really have to pay attention or care as much as you would with somebody else adam kinzinger appeared on the house floor for his final time to speak in front of everybody and addressed his party and the flaws with it of course adam kinzinger became particularly relevant and noteworthy and most of kind of the political world became 
super aware of him whenever he spoke out against Donald Trump's election lies and then was one of the leaders of the January 6th Select Committee. And so he's gotten in the habit of criticizing the Republican Party from within, which I think is really valuable, as you'll see here. Where Republicans once believed that limited government meant lower taxes and more autonomy, today limited government means inciting violence against government officials. Following the tragic Oklahoma City bombing, former President George H.W. Bush publicly refuted those who used fear to gain support. In stark contrast, our leaders today belittle and in some cases justify attacks on the U.S. Capitol as, quote, legitimate political discourse. The once great party of Lincoln, Roosevelt, and Reagan has turned its back on the ideals of liberty and self-governance. Instead, it has embraced lies and deceit. The Republican Party used to believe in a big tent which welcomed the tired, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Now, we shelter the ignorant, the racist, who only stoke anger and hatred to those who are different than us. Our constituents voted us in based on our beliefs. Okay, so I mean, that's some stark language there. I mean, the racist, and it, it's correct. The interesting thing he did in that speech too was uh, the part I didn't like was both sides a lot of the things, or at least at the beginning he did, which there are some issues where genuinely both sides participate a lot in the negative that you're calling out. When it came to the divisiveness, I think everyone participates in a sense, but the impactfulness and relevance of the current right wing in America, I think can't be ignored in the way that it's so much more significant than the divisiveness, we'll say, um, or danger of the worst parts of the left, if that makes sense. And so for the most part, though, I think it's really valuable that Adam Kinzinger will come out and end his time as a congressman by saying, the party that I am a part of is so broken and not at all what I signed up for or what is valuable for our constituents. And that's absolutely true and it should continue to be discussed. And I keep wondering what is the next 10 years of the Republican Party going to look like? Will they just keep going more and more crazy, more and more bonkers, or will they turn around at some point and go back in the direction that they were before? Which again, I disagreed with a lot of the policy positions, but they weren't completely detached from reality like they are many of them, not you know the entire Republican Party, but the MAGA crew is, and it's really scary. The DC bar has recommended that Rudy Giuliani should be disbarred. Very interesting. Of course, this is because of his actions as the lawyer of Trump during their attempts to overturn the 2020 election. And now he's getting some of the consequences, at least when it comes to the DC bar and the disciplinary hearings he was undergoing. Um, take a look. Rudy Giuliani, potentially one step close, closer to losing his law license, a three-member attorney disciplinary board in Washington, DC said Thursday that Giuliani should be liable for professional sanctions. This after making repeated false election fraud claims while representing the former President Trump, uh, his campaign in 2020, as well as his efforts to overturn the election. That ruling is non-binding, but a significant step that could eventually lead to Giuliani being disbarred. The ethics charges are focused on a lawsuit by the Trump campaign in Pennsylvania 
that sought to throw out hundreds of thousands of votes in the state. Or Rudy Giuliani. Right. I mean, he used his authority as a lawyer to attempt to throw out millions of votes because of false claims of election fraud. Here from ABC News, the District of Columbia Bar Association's Disciplinary Council called Thursday for Rudy Giuliani's disbarment after a preliminary finding that Giuliani violated at least one rule of attorney practice when, as the attorney for then-President Donald Trump, he pressed a baseless failed legal challenge to the 2020 election results in Pennsylvania. Quote, this case, the seriousness of the misconduct calls for only one sanction, and that is a sanction of disbarment. Phil Fox, a lawyer for the D.C. Bar, said at a disciplinary hearing in Washington, I think it was a fundamental harm to the fabric of the country that could well be irreparable. Absolutely. And it's so good to see in some of these situations, people being held accountable, sort of, <laughs> for attempting to overthrow our democratic process based on lies, right? It's so important that for the future of America, it is woven into the fabric of our history that all of the people who did this were held accountable for it. Final thing from this, these disciplinary hearings that was deciding if this was the recommendation they're going to make, he appeared at. And it's super blurry, but one of the parts that went viral that was funny is when they were taking a break from one of the hearings, he realized on the Zoom call that he had two watches on. It was just so Rudy Giuliani. Well, I'm at a good place to stop, Mr. Chair. Thank you. We'll you. Uh, you know, I have two watches on. And then he put his hand over his mouth because he realized the Zoom was still on. That's Rudy Giuliani for you. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. Before you go, we have a Papa Lockin' bonus show that will come out on Saturday. We'll talk about Laura Loomer continuing her war against Marjorie Taylor Greene, Christian Walker, son of Herschel Walker, accusing a conservative commentator of adultery, accusing him of cheating in some stark terms. Dr. Fauci reflects on his time working with Trump and much, much more to get access to that bonus show as well as to be someone who makes our show possible by supporting it. You can go to patreon.com slash Luke Beasley. That's patreon.com slash Luke Beasley. And wherever you're listening or watching or whatever, that will be in the uh, description on whatever platform you are on. With all that being said, have a wonderful weekend. See you soon.